Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. If you have your Bibles, go to Mark chapter 10. We are in this series called Encountering Jesus. We exist as a church to help people encounter Jesus, not just for the first time, uh, but I'm praying every single one of you here today encounters Jesus, and maybe it'll be the thousandth time for you, but every time we gather, that's what we're here to do, is to encounter Jesus. We're going to pray and ask God to help that happen for every single one of us across every single campus, upon every screen in which this service you are involved. And so let's pray. Lord, you're good. We love you. We bless you. And uh, I thank you for your word. And I pray as we look into this word, we ask that the word would look into us. Um, and God, we give you permission to do that. We give you permission to change us and to move us. That's why we do this. So speak to us today. Give us ears to hear. Lord, let there be a prophetic anointing on this word. Prophesy today exactly where we are at. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Anybody ready for the, just come expecting, ready for the word. Anybody? Amen. All right. Before I jump in, I do want to introduce uh, two people to you real quick. Peter and Joanna Reeves are going to pop up here with me. And um, as they do, let me tell you why we're doing this. Uh, Peter and Joanna are incredible, incredible. If you've not met them yet, they're, I'm serious. They're two of my favorite people on the planet. They're just so genuine, so incredible. Uh, but they've been uh, next-gen on staff at a great church in Michigan for eight, nine years, something like that. And God really did raise up some incredible uh, ministries under them. Um, God started to kind of deal with their hearts and open up a lot of doors uh, for, for a calling to uh, evangelism. And full-time evangelism, sparking revival across this nation. God's going to use them in great ways. And so as part of that journey, um, God started to also stir them about basing out of Orlando, Florida, but more specifically, basing out of Faith Assembly of God uh, as their home base. And um, so when we started kind of talking about that, hearing about that, I, I just decided we as a church, let's just, let's just embrace them, make them our staff evangelists, and we're going we're gonna to launch them out and be praying for them and, and, uh, and just bless this ministry. And so if you've not met them, uh, that's, they're going to be here when, when, he's, when they're not out, they're going to be here in services. And matter of fact, he's going to, he'll be speaking throughout the year. Matter of fact, this Wednesday night, a revival night, uh, our first one of the year, and uh, Pastor Peter's going to preach uh, this Wednesday night. So come out this Wednesday night for a revival night. Love you guys so much. All right. And uh, get to know them if you haven't yet. They are incredible. Uh, and, and their kids, Mac and Charlie, they are a trip. So you'll want to meet uh, the kids as well. Well, uh, Mark chapter 10, if you're there, uh, let me read this passage of scripture that is uh, the, headed by the phrase, rich young ruler. Verse 17 says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 18, why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You should not murder. 
You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. You should not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Title of this message in this series of Encountering Jesus is An Unexpected Turn. An unexpected turn. If we were reading this narrative for, for the first time, especially if you, if you had any awareness of some of the other uh, encounters with Jesus that are recorded in Scripture, this one took an unexpected turn. When I think about that phrase, unexpected turn, I remember back to when me and my, my wife, we were just dating for like just a month or two. I mean, this was early in the dating process. She was so mesmerized by me back then, so obsessed almost in an unhealthy way. At least, I'm not sure what the laughter's about, but um, at least that's the way I remember it, just, uh, just so consumed and, uh, and just really in love there early on. And so um, I was more responsible, and I remember being at her house. We had just been dating for a month or so, two months, and, uh, and then I was, getting, I was getting ready to go to work. See, I told you I was a responsible young man, and so I was leaving to go to work on time, and then she was also going to leave her house at that time too, and she was going to go to her friend's house. And so we end up being on the road next to each other the whole time on, as we were leaving. And so we were kind of going down the road, and again, she couldn't take her eyes off me. And I'm like, get your eyes on the road, honey, you know? And so uh, this, we're driving, and this was before uh, cell phones, so we couldn't you know, this was it. It was no talking. It was only eye contact. And so she's next to me. She's over there making little smiles and whatever. I must say I wasn't hating it. But uh, uh, it came time for her to turn right. And so I was going to go straight. And then she was going to turn right. And that winter day in Kansas City, there was some snow falling on the ground. And so she's over there looking at me driving. It came time for her to turn right. And uh, she just turned mostly right. She just turned partially right. She didn't turn right where the road goes. And she didn't go straight where the road goes. She kind of started sliding and just went off right, right in between the two roads, off into a ditch, and there she goes. Uh, all because she couldn't, I mean, that was an unexpected, I didn't expect that. And of course, I went off to work, and I figured she was going to be all right and figure it out. I'm just kidding. But no, sometimes that can happen, like it's a twist, it's an unexpected turn that happens, and it's definitely the situation here in this passage of scripture because we read about this and we see that someone's encounter with Jesus can start off in the right direction and even include some devotion along the way and yet still end with disappointment and devastation. We need to hear that. Like that needs to be a warning to us that an encounter with Jesus can start in the right direction even include some devotion yet, and yet still end up devastating, disappointing, derailed. It can happen. We, we see it in this passage of scripture. He starts off good, starts off in the right direction. Look at verse 17 and 18. As Jesus started on his way, a man runs up to him. That's significant. 
The fact that this man is running towards Jesus because in this day and age and in that culture, respectable men never ran. You, you would never see a, a, a man of any kind of um, office or, or, or respectability. He wouldn't run. That was, that was seen as demeaning. Or, and, and, and so this person, the fact that he's running up to Jesus in the very beginning of this story says something about his direction, about his passion, about his momentum. He runs up to Jesus. He falls on his knees to Jesus. Yet again, another sign that this thing is starting off good, that he sees something about Jesus. And then look what he says. He falls on his knees before him and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And look what Jesus said. Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Now, some people misunderstand that and they think that Jesus was somehow saying that he wasn't God. That's not what he was saying. What Jesus was pointing out was that the, the word good that this, uh, that this young man uses, it's uh, in the Greek, it, for us it gets translated good. In the Greek, it's a word called agathos. And that word does not just mean good. As a matter of fact, J Jews would not use that word to be like, oh, this cut of meat tastes good. It, it's not the same word there. This is a word, agathos, that means intrinsically good, like good to the core. Matter of fact, it was a word that they reserved to only speak of God. And so when this young man comes up to Jesus, he says, good teacher. In other words, God teacher. And then Jesus goes, hold on. Well, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. In other words, he's saying, you must be onto something. You must realize who I am. Maybe that's why this in encounter with me is starting off so powerfully. There's, there's the right motivation. There's the right momentum. This thing's going good. And look at even what the question that the young man asks. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I love that this is the thought process, that he's wondering about what happens after I die. What, what journey am I on? Where am I headed? These are all good things, but uh, anybody can start off good. Starting off good is kind of easy. And even when an encounter with Jesus can, can start in the right direction, it can still end up derailed. I mean, like, like, take it this way. If I were to enter the New York City Marathon at the next running of the New York City Marathon, and I see the concern on some of your faces, you're going, I don't know if that's such a good idea, Pastor, uh, for you at this current state of condition. I, I, I know, thank you, but let's say I did and let's say I got there early. I got there earliest. I got there first. And so I got to be in the very front of the line. I don't know if it works like that, but for my story, that's how it works. You, whoever gets there first gets the front of the line. So I'm there at the front of the New York City Marathon. Hundreds of runners who've trained their whole life are all right there with me. And uh, the gun goes off. I assume that's how it starts. Or something happens. Somebody waves their arm and we say, go. And I think I'm 99% I'm, I'm sure of this, that if I started sprinting as fast as I could sprint, that I could be in the lead at the New York City Marathon for at least about 30 meters or so. I mean, if I ran my hardest, somebody could take a picture and be like, look, there's my pastor. He's in first place at the New York City Marathon. Now, the reason why I can be in the lead in the first 26 meters is because the rest of the people are thinking about 26 miles. 
They're thinking about the pace. They're thinking about like the finish line. I'm not thinking about the finish line. I'm just thinking about the start. See, anybody can start off great. And unfortunately, there are people in the church who start off great with Jesus. And they start out with so much passion for Jesus. Matter of fact, I can think of people, breaks my heart. I can think of people even this year that I met who came into these services and encountered Jesus. And I believe they really did. And they had passion and they had momentum and they had the right motivation. Something happened along the way, and they lost out. Yeah, they were in the lead for a second. Anybody can start off. Matter of fact, some of us, we talk about we've been saved for 20 years, and we're, it's not. All we've done is we, we just keep starting over in our salvation. Some of you, you haven't been saved 20 years. You've been saved for one year 20 times. At some point, we have to, like, at some point we have to like get beyond the beginning, get beyond the start. And so this, this I love that this, this man's encounter with Jesus starts off with such passion, with such momentum, with such of the, of the right motivation. But at some point, where do we go from there? Where do we move from after the beginning? We've thought about our ways. We've considered where this road ends. He says, good teacher, understand your God, but what must I do to inherit eternal life? It can start out with the right direction, and then it, it can even include devotion. Uh, an encounter with Jesus can even include some devotion. Look at verse 19. Jesus takes him to the law. After that question of, about eternal life, Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. Verse 19, you should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not give false testimony, you should not defraud, you should honor your mother and father. And look what he says, teacher, all of these things I have kept since I was a boy. Now, why did Jesus take him to the law? Jesus took him to the law, uh, and, and the reason why Jesus took him to the law is completely missed by the young man, by the way. But the reason why Jesus brought him to the law is because the law will show us our sin. The law will show us what's gonna keep us ultimately from, from eternal life. And so he takes him to the law. Now, the young man misses it and, and doesn't even realize it, but the problem with just the law is this. If all I'm doing is trying to observe the law, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to do that. What the law does is the law points out my sin, but the law can't cleanse me from my sin. So the law is like a mirror. I could be covered with mud and I can stand in front of a mirror and I can see that I am covered now because of this mirror. I can see that I have some issues going on, but that mirror is not going to make me clean. Same with the law. And so Jesus starts by pointing out the law and says, well, you know the law. You're, 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 you're a good Jew. And so you know that you can't do this. And you can't do this. And this guy misses the point. And instead of letting the law kind of speak to him and, and looking at himself in the mirror, he just gives his his uh, his. his his rehearsed answer, he goes, oh, no, I do that. No, I'm good. I, I keep the law. And uh, I, I do that. No, it's, it's all good. This, he, this young man had a shallow view of salvation. That's really part of the problem. He thought, watch this, that he could do something, he could do enough things, and then salvation would be his. Eternal life would be his. He could somehow do it. He could somehow earn it. He could somehow uh, figure out a way. And this, this thought process was common amongst Jews at that time. As a matter of fact, it's still common today. It happens all the time. That people are weighing their life and going, well, if I do more good than bad, then that's how you get to heaven. 
Well, I do some good, I mean, I go to church all the time, or I give a little bit every so often in the offering, and uh, people sometimes say that I'm, I'm like a, a nice person, and so, and I found, I know this one person, he's way worse off than I am, and so we still do that today, where we somehow think that by doing something, or I can earn my way, and this was this young man's problem, he had some devotion, but the devotion was, was kind of coming from a place of thinking that if I do enough things, I earn my right, I earn my place in heaven. There's been, like, there's been like two times in the last couple of years where someone has invited me to play golf at, a, at, a, at two of the most amazing uh, private country clubs, probably in the nation, but certainly there are two of them that are here in town. Really, really um, like high level, real closed. You, you, and the only reason why is, you know, someone um, who, who worked at, at each of these places invited us to play. And so uh, when, when, when I would show up to there, um, the moment I step on the property, I already feel like I don't belong. I mean, this is the kind of country clubs where it costs, I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars just to even join on the thing, so it's probably not gonna happen for me, all right, and I'm, I've, I've, I've come to grips with that, I'm okay with that, but coming on the property, I just already feel out of place. As a matter of fact, in both of those situations, I felt like people were looking a little bit down on me, like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I know, I shouldn't be here, I'm sorry. As a matter of fact, one of them, we pulled up, and there was these two or three dudes that were standing right at the edge of the parking lot, and the moment that we got out of the car, they're just already like, just looking down, and I just almost teared up at the moment. I was like, I know I'm sorry. I sh- I'll go. I'll just leave. I know. And um, they even started asking us some questions, like, hey, are you guys, are you members here? I'm like, no, I'm sorry. Uh, what's going on? I think we're going to play golf. And, then, and they're kind of quizzing me and looking down or whatever, and I just completely feel out of place. And I said, well, what's going on then? And, and they're expecting me to say, yes, I'm here because of what I make. Yes, I'm here because of what I earned. Yes, I'm here because of what I paid. And yet my answer to them was none of those reasons. I said, I'm here because of who I know. I said, oh, I know so-and-so, and they work here, and they invited me, and it's because I know them, that's why I'm here. They didn't seem to be too impressed with that answer, but I'll tell you what, that answer granted me access in. And it's the same. This young man is looking at Jesus going, no, no, Jesus, you don't get it. I've done this and I've done that and I've done that and surely that's enough for eternal life. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. You can't do enough for this. It's not about what you do. It's not about earning it. It's about who you know. It's about knowing me. And this limited view, this shallow view of salvation will get you into trouble. And in the midst of this encounter, Matthew 19 records this, uh, this narrative as well. This story is found in all three of the synoptic gospels. And in Matthew's version, when, when, he, when he goes, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. But Matthew records this young man saying, but, but what still do I lack? It's like something in him was, was, was this battle of like, do I earn it or is, is there more to it than this? Maybe he had heard that Jesus was teaching, no, you, you're not going to be able to earn it by keeping the law. You need my grace. You need my, my mercy. So this encounter with God starts off in the right direction and it even includes some devotion, but yet in, a, in an unexpected turn, it ends with disappointment 
and devastation. The Bible says in verse 21, Jesus looked at him and, and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Look at this. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. What, a, what an unexpected turn. What a surprise ending to this. This verse has been described as being the saddest verse in the Bible. If you think about all the other encounters with Jesus, think about all the other stories where people would encounter Jesus in person. Think about the blind seeing and the deaf hearing and the lame walking and dead rising up and lost being found and sinners being forgiven. Think about all of those stories in the New Testament where people would encounter Jesus and this is the only one where someone has an encounter with Jesus and they leave in worse shape than before they encountered him. Whew. One of the saddest stories in all of the Bible. What do we learn from something like this? That someone comes to Jesus and yet goes away empty, goes away sad. Here's what we learn, is that as much as Jesus loves us, he will not override your choice. He will not override your decisions. Mark is the only one of the gospel writers who says that phrase, that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Loved him enough to tell him the truth. Now hear me, because we are in a day and age where people love to go find somebody who will just celebrate every choice you make who will just affirm everything you do, just, I mean, celebrate and go along with and cheer you on and embrace every decision, even if they're poor decisions, even if they're decisions out of your flesh, even if they're decisions that are disobedient with the word of God, we're still looking around for everybody just to cheer me on, embrace me, celebrate me, and listen to me. Do not look for that church. That is not the church you want to attend. You want to attend a church who will look at you with the eyes of Jesus and love you enough to tell you the truth. You want people in your life who will love you enough to say, hey, in this area, your life is not lining up with the word of God. Those are the people you should welcome into your life. It's not love the other way. It's, that's, a, that's a false view of love. People looking around going, oh, they, but they, they get me. And so they love me so much that they celebrate. They love me so much that they affirm everything. That's not love. That's cowardice. No, we want people in our life who look at us love us enough to tell us the truth and he did Jesus looked at this young man and he said one thing there's one thing though that you lack you've done some good things you've been impressive as you've come up to me I mean the, 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 the amount of momentum and the, the, seems like the right motivation but there's some things going on that we've got to talk about there's one thing. A.W. Tozer, he said this about, about this version of, 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 of keeping something back in our Christianity. He said, breezy, self-confident Christians tell us how wonderful it is to accept Christ and then you have a good time all the time the rest of your lives. The Lord won't demand anything of you. And he said, yes, 
He will, my friends. The Lord will demand everything of you. When you give it all up to him, he may bless it, hand some of it back, but other he may not hand back. I found that with God, that the moments I've surrendered everything to God, some of which he's seen fit to hand back to me, and some of which he hasn't. He knows best. That's what it means to truly serve God. And and this young man had not got to that point. Jesus goes, yeah, but there's, there's one thing. You kept some of those commandments. Do you remember when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And and this young man loved something more than he was prepared to love Jesus. So Jesus says, go sell everything you have, and then you'll have eternal life. And so we could, if you just read that sentence only, the only sentence you ever read in the Bible, you'd go, okay, so you have to give up all your money to get saved. You have to sell everything to, to be saved. No, no, no. Jesus didn't say that to anybody else but him. This was not a worldwide path to salvation. This was his path to salvation. Why? Because he had money? No. Because money had him. And that, for some of us, could be what has us. Maybe money is the thing. But for a lot of us, it's not money. For a lot of us, our one thing could be something very, very different from that. Your God could be your career. Your one thing could be your bank account, could be the way you look, could be your appearance, could be some particular degree or influence or power or position. For others of you, your one thing might be lust or lack or greed or gambling or gaming or gratifying the flesh with sex and substance and some other secret sins. Maybe, maybe that's your one thing or even, even self can be the one thing or other people politics or all kinds of pleasure see your God is whatever you allow to control you it's whatever guides your decisions that's your one thing and Jesus looks at this young man the beginning of this story starts out so hopeful and it ends so sad because in that moment when confronted with his one thing He had to make a choice. Do I trust him enough to give him the one thing? I asked first service this way. I said, what's the second most important thing in your life? I think some of us have been in church long enough that I asked what's the first most important thing in your life. We've been in church long enough to know the right answer. And we go, oh, Jesus, all right, good. Well, then let me ask you this. What's the second most important thing? Because I'll tell you this, that second thing is constantly jockeying for number one slot. That second thing can speak a lot of times about our one thing. I heard one pastor talking about, he was in Haiti and he heard a Haitian pastor give this illustration. And in this illustration, this Haitian pastor said that there was a man who owned a house and he was gonna sell his house for $2,000. There was another man who wanted to buy the house, but he did not have that much money. And so all of these negotiations and bargaining goes back and forth. Finally, the one who owned the house decided, I will sell you the house for half the price. I will sell you the house for $1,000 on one condition. The new uh, buyer of the house said, what's the one condition? The former homeowner said, I will still own the nail on the front door of the house. This new buyer said, yeah, okay, deal. 
paid $1,000. Now he owns his house all but the one nail. A couple years go by, he's setting it up as a home. Everything's going great. The original homeowner comes and says, I'd like to buy the house back. My situation has changed. And the new owner of the house says, well, no, I'm, we're, we've made a family here. we made a home here. This, we, want to, we want to stay here. So that original owner, he came up with an idea and he went out and found the dead carcass of an animal and he hung it from the nail that he owned at the house. And as you might imagine, within days, just a, just a week or so in, that house was becoming unlivable because of what was hanging on the one nail that he didn't own. Made it unlivable. Finally, the, the new homeowner had no choice but to sell the house back to the original owner. All because of one little thing. One little nail. That's why it's so important that we think about our one thing. Just one little bit of reservation, one little bit of resistance in all the areas of our life, one little bit of resistance against God can derail my entire destiny. So what's, what's your one thing? So if it was you, right, in that situation, in that encounter with Jesus, and you said, Jesus, but I do pretty good, and I go to church, and I'm serving here, and people think I'm pretty good, and I'm nice to my parents, and I give a little bit, like, but Jesus, that, and then what, what would Jesus say to you Okay, well then, take, take care of this one thing. That's, that's the question I want you to answer. What would be your one thing? I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.